Hillsville. Good morning to all of our listeners listening across the country or wherever you may be. I'm Ben Dietrich. This is American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day to you. I know it's a cold one out there for those in Michigan, but it's still a day we're celebrating. And we've specifically chosen some positive, patriotic music this morning because this is a day that you should be proud of. And this is a great nation that you should be proud of as well. And I'm glad I get the chance to spend it with you. We're coming to you live this morning, Monday, January 20th, 2020, our first episode of the new year. And I'd like to start by talking about what this day really means. And um, perhaps these days, what we forget about what Martin Luther King did. So I'd like to start with that. Later on in the show, the second half, we will get into all the news that we have missed since last semester There is so much to cover, but for now, let's savor what all of us should be proud of, because in my opinion, Martin Luther King Day is not just a celebration of what Martin Luther King did, but is a celebration for the ideas he stood for, and those ideas stretch back all the way to the Founding Fathers and their idea espoused in the Declaration of Independence, the equality principle that all men were endowed by a special creator that they were created equal and were given inalienable rights. Let's hear it from Martin Luther King back on that special day. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day This nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. All right. So we'll continue that here in a second. That was Martin Luther King. I hope you could hear it okay. That was uh, from 1963 when he gave his famous speech on the Washington Mall in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And, uh, you know, it's funny because what he talks about there. I have a dream and, you know, that we can live up to the principles of the founding fathers um, and, and kind of fulfill the purpose of this nation. That, believe it or not, today um, is, is unaccepted by money. And I think it, it's why, you know, it's, it's very important that we remember really what he argued for then. Because the idea that the founders believed in equality, that the Declaration of Independence, when it was written, um, meant equality for all people, equality before the law, that is, is something that is controversial today. Um, and yet, that is precisely what Martin Luther King Jr. argued. It is also what Abraham Lincoln argued during the Civil War. It seems to be the test and the, the you know, if, if it is a mission statement of our country, that Declaration of Independence, and, you know, it has been something that leaders have had to aspire towards for decades in America, 
And, and I dare say it's something worth being proud of to, to look at the progress the country has made um, and, the, and the incredible strides it's made towards fulfilling those aspirations. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. And I want to make an argument for that because I think today in America, you know, even just over break, you go back into um, places that aren't Hillsdale College where, you know, even our own mission is so tied to that that idea espoused in the Declaration of Independence. When you leave places like this, um, there are so many Americans that are confident, A, that either the founders did not believe in that idea or B, that, um, you know, it, it's not that, that in addition to them not actually believing it, that it did not include um, blacks, that they did not recognize that slavery was inherently immoral. And I just think that when you look at the evidence, that's just, that's just not the case. And that, and of course, other questions arise. We'll get to that, which is, you know, if they knew slavery was bad, then, then why did they bother to live with it? But all of this um, is unique to our nation's founding, and it deserves time to talk about. Because, um, you know, slavery, when you really think about it, I think today, especially in modern America, we have an emotional attachment to what that means and we seem to emotionally condemn it before really taking the time to describe what is inherently wrong with it. And it, it really does come down to, you. I think the best way to explain it is once again through the Declaration of Independence. If people are equal, if they are created equal by a common creator, or, and that creator is the creator of everything, um, then does one man really have the right to exercise unlimited authority on others? Does he, you know, have the right to 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 uh, to violate what you know they listed as those inalienable rights—the right to pursue happiness, to um, pursue life and property uh, in accordance with happiness? So, when you ask the founders, I just thought I'd share with you some documents today that I thought would be relevant. Um, you know, Thomas Jefferson is the author of the Declaration of Independence. And he, of course, um, owned slaves. It's no secret that he did. Um, he owned probably more slaves than a lot of the other founding fathers. You know, Alexander, Ham- Alexander Hamilton didn't own any. And yet even he, um, we have it documented in letter in letter again, you never see from him or any of the other founding fathers a positive view morally of slavery. In fact, he condemns it um, and, and says a couple times, I want to assure you first, in 1784, this is just you know um, less than 10 years after the Declaration of Independence, he recognizes in a letter to, um, uh, or in his notes that he gave to the, the, the state of Virginia's legislator, he recognizes that slavery violates the very principles that he writes in that Declaration of Independence. He says, um, there must be doubtless, there must doubtless be an unhappy influence on the manners of our people produced by the existence of slavery among us. The whole commerce between master and slave is a perpetual exercise of the most boisterous passions, the most unremitting despotism on one part and degrading submissions on the other. Our children see this and learn to imitate it, for man is an imitative animal. He continues later on in this same speech to say, to question whether or not America can really survive 
the moral judgment it will face for slavery. Um, he says, and can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but with his wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever, that considering numbers, nature and natural means only, a revolution of the wheel of fortune, an exchange of situation, is among possible events, that it may become probable by supernatural interference. Later on, um, Thomas, Thomas Jefferson is often famously quoted for in 1820 in a letter to John Holmes, he remarked of the issue of slavery um, in the Missouri Compromise that he was very disappointed with uh, where the nation was going after the Missouri Compromise happened. And he remarked to slavery that he was concerned that uh, we had, so to speak, the wolf, we were holding the wolf by the ears, um, to say the least, that we had a serious problem that was quite hard to deal with. He writes, I think it might be, but as it is, we have the wolf by the ears, and we can neither hold him nor safely let him go. Justice is in one scale, and self-preservation is in the other. Justice being, of course, the fact that injustices were committed by letting man rule man in such a terrible way. George Washington, just to, almost done here, but just to remind, you know, George Washington also said in a letter to Robert Morris that there is not a man living who wishes more sincerely than I do to see a plan adopted for the abolition of slavery. John Adams, in a letter as well, said, I have, through my whole life, held the practice that slavery is a practice of abhorrence. Benjamin Franklin said in 1789, slavery is such an atrocious debasement of human nature that its very extirpation, if not performed with solicited care, may sometimes open a source of serious evils. James Madison, in 1787. We have seen the mere distinction of color made in the most enlightened period of time, a ground of the most oppressive dominion ever exercised by man over man. Now, of course, now that, that, that of course illustrates the point that, you know, they did understand it was morally wrong. The Declaration of Independence, um, when it makes the claim that all men are created equal and thus they deserve inalienable rights, that does include... Um, all people. Uh, it's a, a realization of the fact that if you are human, if you possess rational capabilities, that you were given those rational capabilities for a purpose. Um, that, you know, as Aristotle would say, the highest end that you are to achieve out there, that you should be allowed to achieve, is happiness. And that government exists to protect and secure your rights to allow you to the opportunity to pursue that happiness. Now, it's no secret that even though the founders had those views that you know slavery existed in the United States for a long time, it took a civil war in which um, millions of people had to die uh, to, to completely abolish it in this country. And even after that, it took the works of the people, the likes of which, like Martin Luther King, had to continue to fight um, all the way into the 1960s. And still today in America, there is surely division um, reignited by some of the current political debates. Some of those, though, I, I worry um, have been manipulated. I think, you know, the reason we are making this point this morning is because of the very fact that 
So many Americans question whether or not this country was founded on racist principles, whether or not America as an idea is something to be proud of. And so I would just like to share this with you, and this is American View on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I'd like to share with you this, this following observation. Um, and, and this goes back to the idea that I don't really think people fully understand what slavery means and um, why, you know, rationally it's wrong. Um, because it's wrong to exert, you know, control over somebody without consent. Is the slavery that existed in the United States any different than the way that I would argue people for thousands of years lived under um, Christian kings in, you know, monarchies across Europe? Um, of course, there is a level of degree in which, you know, the... the uh, experiences and the, the way in which they were living were quite different. But at the end of the day, you know, the famous line that comes from the American founding, uh, better to live, to, better to die free than live as a slave, refers to King George and the treatment they got under that king. Um, anytime I think that people had their ability to pursue happiness blocked, they are in some ways enslaved when your rights are violated, when there is no consent to the government in which under you are living, um, when those choices, those human choices are removed, when tyranny exists, then you have slavery. And, and, and the fascinating thing about the American founding, about the ideas that the American system of government was founded on, is the fact that those are antithesis, you know, those are in opposite to the enslavement of people that I think has existed for thousands of years. It's something to be celebrated because that notion of human equality, a government had never been founded on before. That is, that is unique before all history. There, there were democracies and republics before America, thousands of years before. But they were never founded on that principle of human equality. And, and it could be argued, even by looking at back at what Martin Luther King had to say, and I want to share some more of that with you just now, it can be argued by looking back at that, at those ideas that America were founded on. Those have been the saving grace of this nation. That's been what has allowed us to survive and what Abraham Lincoln fought for in the Civil War. You know, you, you may or may not know that Abraham Lincoln famously said, uh, I have never had a feeling politically that did not spring from the sentiments embodied in the Declaration of Independence. And... I want to return now to Martin Luther King, um, who had his own thoughts. I want to go back to his I Have a Dream speech. I'd like to give you some more of that. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about what Martin Luther King had to say. That one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Yeah, I, I want to pause there. Um, that's another beautiful idea, that I think, that, that you know stretches back to the natural... Uh, humanness that we all share, that you could be judged simply by the merits of who you are as a person. 
and not by what your color of your skin is, what your gender is, um, any of that. And unfortunately today in America, I think we've, we've come away from that. You know, you look at the Supreme Court doctrines that have uh, basically um, the, the country, you know, has been run by, at least in the, the Supreme Court, and uh, those ideas have largely been dismissed. There's about one or two Supreme Court justices currently that believe in that idea that you should be judged by the content of your character and not by the color of your skin, that we aspire to be a race-blind society. And that's Justice Clarence Thomas, the only African-American sitting on the court. Um, and then, of course, the late Scalia, who's gone, and perhaps uh, some of the newer justices I'm not as familiar with. But that idea... Um, is the same thing that Frederick Douglass argued for, the former slave. Uh, it's the same thing that Abraham Lincoln argued for. It's the same idea that the, the founding of this college, Hillsdale College, is based off. It's in our founding documents. It's the reason that since 1844, Hillsdale has chosen its students based on their merit, not based on their gender or their race. And those ideas um, are unique and are under fire especially today when we live in an age of identity politics in which people seek to divide us based on our race and our gender and put us into camps and tell us that that's what defines us and that if you are a race or a certain gender, if you are of a certain privileged class, if you are um, gay, if you are black, if you are woman, if you are a woman, that that means that you... Uh, deserve that you have been oppressed in some way um and it's really kind of unfortunate because i think it takes away from what people uh you know what 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 allows you in a, in a free country to to really um pursue happiness in a way and to get along with your fellow americans um to assume victimhood before giving the chance to really have the chance to live well, we will return to, uh, I want to show a little bit of another side of King here in a second. Um, you know, another thing that it's worth uh, talking about is, you know, King was a very smart individual. And, and, you know, his speech, a letter from a Birmingham jail, that's another famous one he gave. Um, King talked also about, you know, Thomas Aquinas. He was well-versed in that. Of course, he was a preacher. He also, you know referenced a lot of uh, America's heritage that, you know, the way that we understand it at Hillsdale College. To read you a quote from this speech, he said, One day the South will know that when these disinherited children of God sat down at lunch counters, they were in reality standing up for what is best in the American dream and for the most sacred values in our Judeo-Christian heritage, thereby bringing our nation back to these great wells of democracy which were dug deep by the founding fathers in their formulation of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. You know, today, uh, it is so easy to forget um, what this country was really founded upon. The truth seems so hard to really find sometimes when you have people like Bernie Sanders on stage telling you that this country was founded in racism. And yet... When we look at the leaders of the great leaders of the civil rights movement, stretching all the way back um, to the Civil War, we see that the arguments they made, the arguments that seemed to triumph, that did triumph 
triumphed through even wars that motivated soldiers to win battles and to give up their lives, attached themselves to the ideas that this great country was founded upon. And so, you know, um, we should never forget uh, the abhorrence of slavery, the, what makes it truly awful, and what makes it not only un-American but inhumane um, and immoral. But at the same time, we should not apologize for what this country was founded upon. And we should be honest about what Martin Luther King aspired for and what so many other Americans have in their fight for freedom. When we come back, we're going to talk about what the New York Times has to say about Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, One person claiming that, you know, he was pro-reparations. We'll assess that. We're going to hear from a less heard interview 10 years after he gave the I Have a Dream speech in which he says that he wonders if he was not being realistic enough. Then we're also going to talk about impeachment and much more as to what's happening in the news. Bloomberg is up with spending a lot of money. We're going to talk about all that um, when we come back from American View. I'm Ben Dietrich. This has been American View on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome back to American View here on Radio Free Hillstone 101.7 FM. I'm Ben Dietrich. It's January 20th, 2019. Good to be back with you here in the studios. We're coming to you live. It's a little after 8.30 in the morning here. Very, very cold outside. Glad to be inside now. Um, If you're not listening to us from Hillsdale, congratulations. Uh, You're not freezing your butt off today. But... We do have some reason to celebrate. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We've been talking about that here in the first half. We're going to get to politics and all that in a little bit. I want to talk about the fact that the New York Times has just chosen their, um, or has just endorsed not one, but two candidates this morning. And we're going to talk about who those are in a little bit. But first, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, We spent the first half talking about all that we have to be proud of, uh, what Martin Luther King stood for, why he is so revered in American society, um, the similarities and ideas that he espoused compared to that of Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, the Founding Fathers, how they all aspired towards the same um, ideas, and that's something to be proud of, uh, and it has to do with the founding of our country. Of course, though, um, you know, I want to give a full, wholesome picture of Martin Luther King Jr. on this day. Um, I don't want to be accused. I think it's fair to be to be fair to be truthful. And uh, the New York Times presents another view on Martin Luther King Jr. They have an article out titled "The Agitated Martin Luther King I Came to Love." It's by a columnist, Charles M. Blow, and he talks about in this article how uh, he loved King, but uh, you know that the King that we see in the dream speech um, is superficial. Uh, it is what America wants King to be, 
He is it's frozen in perpetual optimism, the author writes, urging more than demanding, appealing to America's better angels, then ruthlessly calling out its persistent demons. But that must not be done. That must not be done. Um, so this author chose wants to emphasize some of the ideas uh, King later had in life. Um, personally, I think a little bit of it has been taken out of context, but there is no there's no um, denying that uh, King definitely um, dabbled his his feet uh, in a bit of you know some of the more socialist ideas. Um, th- Questionably, there are debates still today over whether or not he was a Republican or if he would have been a Democrat. Because in a lot of ways, I think he agrees, as we just discussed, he agreed with throughout his life the same ideas that conservatives today have um, with regards to race and the way that we should understand it. The idea of being colorblind, of choosing merit rather than race, um, of being against identity politics, tribalism. And all that uh, stems from that. You know, his I Have a Dream speech certainly embodies that. And throughout his life, he seems to still believe in, in those ideas. That said, he does advocate, you know, for certain times of uh, certain forms of um, programs like, and, and, you know, universal annual income. The same thing you see from Andrew Yang today. Um, first of all, we have to remember that, that King, of course, lived in a... Um, a different time in which you know the Soviet Union still existed, uh, communism, socialism um, were being heavily debated, and uh, people didn't really know about the pitfalls of those programs. Um, the American war on poverty had yet to begin, um, and as such, the government had yet to spend billions of dollars on it. And as we know today, we've spent trillions. But let's hear what King had to say about his own speech. We're going to let him speak for himself. He deserves to be heard. Um, even from his non-lesser famous lines. This is from an interview that happened 10 years after I Have a Dream. Um, like everything else, um, we should give him the chance to say um, what he thought. I must confess that uh, that dream that I had that day has in many points turned into a nightmare. Now, I'm not one to lose hope. I keep on hoping. Uh, I still have faith in the future. But I've had to analyze many things over the last few years, and I would say over the last few months. I've gone through a lot of soul-searching and agonizing moments, and I've come to see that uh, we have uh, many more difficult days ahead, and some of the old optimism was a little superficial, and now it must be tempered with a solid realism. And I think the realistic fact is that we still have a long, long way to go and that we are involved in a war on Asian soil, uh, which, if not checked and stopped, can poison the very soul of our nation. I'm not going to say that all of our problems will be solved if the war in Vietnam is ended, but I do say that the war makes it infinitely more difficult to deal with these problems. Uh, When a nation becomes obsessed with the guns of war, Uh, It loses its social perspective and programs of social uplift suffer. This is just a... a So that's uh, King in 1967. This is after Martin Luther King, or excuse me, John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. The Civil Rights Acts had already been passed. Um, What's interesting about this speech here, so this is right when the Vietnam War is starting, and he expresses concern over this. This is one of the reasons that I think a lot of McCarthyists accused King of being a communist was because of the fact that he opposed the Vietnam War. (laughs) 
we uh, we know that today, you know, hindsight tells us that, hey, that wasn't that bad of an idea to oppose what they were doing in Vietnam. That didn't really work out so well for us. Um, but what's interesting, you know, this can kind of sometimes be taken out of context, I would say, because, you know, uh, he clearly thinks that the war is a distraction from the civil rights movement. Um, but that does not mean that he has not changed his views. And, and, you know, he says, maybe I was too superficial in my ideas. And yet he does not, later in this clip, he actually defends the idea of nonviolent um, intervention, nonviolent protest. Um, he's pushing back against what now at this time were a lot of black power movements that were resorting to violent, to violent riots. And he's trying to prevent that from, from really taking fruit. Um, but at the same time, yeah, this is after they had given, you know, desegregation had, had started. And he's now trying to deal with the fact that there is a significant lapse in um, the cha- differences in income that exist between um, blacks and whites. And also access to things like housing. Um, you know, what you were seeing is American cities, for instance, like Detroit, where because they had begun desegregation and the busing, most people who were white moved to suburbs of the city. All the blacks were left in the city. Uh, and there was poor access to education then for the people in the city, kind of living, leading to a perpetual amount of poverty. Um, observing problems like these, they're worth talking about, especially when the system itself, uh, and you know, clearly if you, you know, for instance, one of the things he advocated for the, at this time was a housing anti-discrimination law, which would basically say you cannot live in a community that is going to ban blacks from living in that community. Um, there's nothing socialist about pursuing that type of law. Um, I would argue, you know, I, I think that, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, looking back at that today, we wouldn't be opposed to that. But you know, those are still things worth talking about that might have been more extreme at the time. Um, but, you know, uh, I would not go as far as the New York Times article goes to suggest that he would have been in support of um, racial reparations. I think King was open to looking at all the possibilities of the ways he could help African-Americans. And we might not even agree with everything that he believed was the best way to do that. And that's okay. Um, Argument is okay. It does not lessen any of the great ideas that he did stand up for that, you know, um, I think regardless of where you stand politically and what role you think the government should take in economic affairs, regardless of race, um, the ideas that he espoused that are related to the Declaration of Independence um, are related to the founding of this country, um, that does not dampen any of those. And it's no lesser of a reason to celebrate him. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. was certainly a great man, and today we should be proud of what he did and what this country has accomplished. Um, and while we always want to remember the, the terrible atrocities that, you know, slavery, not just the, uh, something that's not just unique to America, but is really part of human history um, created, we should never feel shameful about uh, the history of this country. Um, And so I hope today, today should be a happy day and a proud day to celebrate all that he did. So let's move on though, guys. We've got to go, keep it going. This is American View, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. So, New York Times, guess who they're choosing? Drum roll. They got Amy Klobuchar and uh, Elizabeth Warren as their picks. What do you guys think of that? Give us a tweet, you know, tag, tag me on Twitter at Ben underscore D-I-E-T-D. Let me know what you think. We'll share your views on Friday when we come back here. 
Uh, otherwise, you know, um, check us out on Facebook, American View WRFH. Let us know there as well. But Amy Klobuchar, th- she's an interesting one. Let's talk about her for a second. So Elizabeth Warren, everybody's been kind of catching up on the whole idea that she lies a lot. <laughs> um, there was, of course, the hot mic clip. We're not going to play it for you today because I think it's already been played a lot on the media the last like week. Where in the last debate last week, she got caught at the, after the end of the debate turning to Bernie Sanders and saying, I think you just called me a liar on national TV. And Bernie Sanders huskily says, let's not talk about this here. Let's not. I did. I, I, I did that's not what I said, but let's, let's not go into this here. And all that was on uh, mic, basically, and was broadcasted on TV, um, which they might have known. But uh, it brings up a true point. I mean, she, she's lied about a lot of stuff. She lied about the fact that she was Native American. She lied about the fact that uh, she... Um, she did that in college to get into college. Um, there were multiple times in her life where, you know, she, she has made claims um, about herself in order to get her places. Um, and, you know, you can't really just rid yourself of that. And it's kind of funny because she tries to make herself out to be a great, you know, kind of anti-corrupt person uh, because she doesn't take money from special interests. And I think, I guess the point of this is to say that in politics, like, there's a way that politicians can, like, not be selfish, um, which is good, and which is what you want people to aspire to be. But, like, if Elizabeth Warren's going to try to, you know, aspire to be some sort of, like, non-human, I don't have any interests other than my supporters to a person, um, it's not really working out for her. I guess it just kind of shows you that, you know, just because you don't take money from lobbyists doesn't mean you can't be um, having your interest in the wrong area, or you know, have a. That doesn't mean that all your morals are set, and that you know you can lie about everything else. So Elizabeth Warren, though, they think is a better choice than Bernie Sanders, and then Amy Klobuchar is an interesting choice. And they, I think they, the reason they couldn't, I, I, my guess is that if they could have just chosen Klobuchar, they would have just chosen Klobuchar. She's from Minnesota. She is supposedly the moderate of the group. Um, She's from the Midwest, and she can gather white, blue-collar workers because she talks like a Midwesterner and likes to eat hamburgers. Uh, (laughs) But the problem with this is she doesn't do well in the polls. Um, Why does she not do well in the polls? A, maybe it's because there's a lot of reports out there about the way she treats other people, and they're not very pretty. She kind of has the Hillary Clinton... um, issue where she can just be extremely mean to her staff and um, can come off a little bit wacko in that sense. But then also, so like one time I, I guess um, somebody like forgot to give her a spoon or something at a restaurant, one of her staff members and so she like um, hazed them into I, I believe like eating the the, the soup themselves I, I don't know, with the soup that they got for her without the spoon Something really weird like that. Um, you can Google that online, but there's there's some weird stories about her staff where um, the way she treated them has been kind of odd, um, and that's an understatement. <laughs> and you know, when they talk about what she said in the debates, you know, people keep saying, "Oh yeah, she's the moderate in the group," and I'm like, "Really? Okay, like yeah, she doesn't support socialist or banning private health insurance." Congratulations, Amy Klobuchar. Like, you don't get the you know the biggest socialist in the group, but. You want to talk about moderation and, um, you know, the way she treated Brett Kavanaugh and also some of the things she said about guns and uh, other topics. I mean, she is not 
really, to say the least, a moderate in any sense. Um, I don't think that I, I, I think it says a lot about the field of Democrats today to call Amy Klobuchar a moderate. Um, you know, go ahead and listen to her the next time she opens her mouth about what she has to say. Uh, the next the next time that she speaks, and you know, a lot of her ideas making community college free, all that. It's less so that stuff, and it's more, I think, the general outlook and the way that she perceives things that um, will still be a turnoff to a lot of voters, and, and we'll see where the, what happens. But, you know, there's a reason, I think, that she hasn't really risen up to the polls at this point. Um, at one point, I said that I was most concerned if she had got the nomination that she would be the biggest threat to Donald Trump. I don't think she would get the nomination, though, to be, to be perfectly honest. Uh I got to share with you guys what the New York Times starts this article out with because this is this is great. This is what you're up. This is what you have to choose for. So if you're listening, everybody, um, the New York Times has told you the editorial board they want to lay out what this election is about. American voters must choose between three sharply divergent visions of the future. The incumbent president Donald Trump is clear about where he is guiding the Republican Party. White nativism. That's a new one. Not nationalism, because that's too extreme. We'll go with nativism. At home, in America first, unilateralism abroad. Brazen corruption, escalating culture wars, a judiciary stacked with ideologues, and the veneration of a mythological past where the hierarchy in American society was defined and unchallenged. On the Democratic side, an essential debate is underway between two visions that may define the future of the party and perhaps the nation. Some in the party view President Trump as an aberration and believe the return to a more sensible America is possible. Then there's those who believe that President Trump was the product of political and economic systems so rotten that they must be replaced. <sighs> so, did you vote for Donald Trump out there? Because if you did, guess what? According to the New York Times, you voted for white nativism, uh, brazen corruption, escalating cultural wars, ideological judiciary um, and a mythological past of America. So you're a racist, you're a deplorable of every type. That, that, that's what they start their, their article about for who they want to endorse. Let's um, talk about how the other side is, is racist before we get into, you know, these are the best candidates for, for the Democrats. I mean, the way that they still observe what the Republicans believe in is, is still very funny. You know, it's, it's so extreme, so divisive. And uh, I guess people still question, can, is it possible to not support the president today, but also not think that his supporters are white nationalists or even think the president is a white nationalist? And the Democrats are making that very hard to do, which for Donald Trump is very helpful. And as we see right now, you know, since the last time we were here on the show, the president's been impeached as of this morning. You know, President Trump is on his way to Switzerland right now for an economic forum. And the Senate will be taking up the case for impeachment. And they will be deciding on the rules to hold this trial of impeachment. And more and more Americans and even, you know, congressmen and legislators uh, are having to make a lot of decisions about this presidency. And it's not helping when you got not just the Democrats in government, but even the media, um, wholeheartedly embracing uh, in a level of extremism um, and just not really in touch with the reality of who this president is 
what his supporters really care about, what the state of the country actually is. Um, in other news today, the Wall Street Journal had an editorial board about the fact that it's becoming apparent that James Comey may have leaked classified information um, in relation to the Inspector General's report that was done about him and his FBI. The, the report is, that was the you know, Inspector General's report about the FISA warrants and possible FISA abuse where they found a bunch of inconsistencies, uh, a bunch of errors in FBI judgment. I think it was like over 12 or something like that. But, but of course, you know, there was no proof that this was intentional. That, you know, yeah, they wiretapped members of the Trump campaign, made a lot of mistakes doing it, um, but was not intentional. And uh, Comey, of course, who still believes he was wronged by President Trump for being fired, um, possibly helped President Trump get elected by intervening. <laughs> and the stuff that he leaked now, it, you know, it could come back to bite him. We'll see what happens there. But uh, it just kind of elevates the fact that, you know, today in America, there is such a level of distrust among our intelligence agencies um, that, you know, even they have been susceptible to such a level of politicization. Politici- political, excuse me. Uh, that word's not happening this early in the morning. <laughs> so we're going to see what happens with impeachment. Uh, my predictions are that the president will be acquitted. Um, the question is, do they do it with unanimous Republican votes? Um, I think at this point, I would say yes. Lisa Murkowski would have to be pretty ballsy to go against them on this one unless some sort of new evidence happens. I think that the witnesses, I think there will be witnesses. And the question is, how much of a can of worms does that turn into? You know, because if the Democrats start getting witnesses, I guarantee you the Republicans are going to try and get Hunter Biden on the stand, Joe Biden on the stand. And if you have been paying attention to the news, then you're aware that President Trump has been choosing quite a legal team. It includes the likes of people like O.J. Simpson's former lawyer, the lawyer that previously defended Bill Clinton in his impeachment trial, and so many others. Which basically indicates to me that this impeachment trial is going to be, you know, made for TV. So we'll be tuning into that. Um, isn't it fun when, when you're, you know, the future of your country and the, the institutions that, that are supposed to be, you know, supposedly um, so important and sacred to your country are now just kind of part of our entertainment on a weekly basis. But... Um, we got to keep following this stuff, guys. And uh, I want to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our coverage on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We're going to be back on Friday with more news and some interviews with some prominent Americans. Uh, so make sure you tune in to American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation, next time on Friday. It's great to be back with you. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, American View, WRFH, on my Twitter, Ben underscore D-I-E-T-E. On behalf of all of us here at Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, have a great morning, have a great day. Happy Martin Luther King Day, everybody.